are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Hey, good morning. You look fantastic. I, I think maybe you're ready to hear a story. I, I got a, a cheering section back there. Is that you, Brixton? I love you, buddy. There you go. What it is. So I got a story. I want to share a story with you. Uh, about 20 years ago, uh, I had two sons. Uh, I, actually, my wife and I had two little sermon illustrations, and uh, both of them are sons. The younger one gets, uh, gets a lot more story time, but uh, that's just because of the way he is. Um, we were in our, sitting at our dinner table in Olathe, Kansas, around, around the dinner table, and just behind us there was uh, vertical blinds and a sliding glass door, and the door was open, and the breeze was blowing a little bit, and at some point, just sitting around the dinner table, those vertical blinds began to stir a little bit, and, uh, and uh, Amy says, Is, do you think somebody's there? And Dawson just shot this out. He's four years old at the time. He says, I think it's Jesus. And uh, <laughs> like, whoa. Heart rate goes up a little bit, and, and uh, Amy says, uh, <clears throat> well, what do you think Jesus wants to say? And he said, I think he just wants to say, I love you. I said, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And so I want to tell you this morning, if you don't hear anything else I say for the next hour and a half, I want you to hear, <laughs> I want you to hear this. If Jesus were to tap you on the shoulder, if he were to come up behind you, uh, rustle the, 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 the blinds behind you, or to tap you on the shoulder, you feel a little thumb in your back, any of the things that you might hear from Jesus, I want to promise you that the first thing you'll hear from Jesus is, I love you. You believe that? He has good plans for you. They're not, they're not, there might be hard plans. They, there, there might be difficulty involved in it, but he says, I got good plans for us, actually, because he's not going to send you somewhere he's not already been and not going to go with you. Later that evening, Amy and I were sitting and talking about the event at the dinner table, and, and we're shocked that Dawson was so secure in his answer at the age of four. We thought about what it was like for us growing up uh, in the 60s, 70s, and, and 80s, and, and some of the movies that they used to show us to get us to get to the altar and things like that. It was, it was a scary time, I promise you. Um, and, and we've survived that. We're all good. But it... But it it was amazing to hear that. It, it comes from a place of security. That answer that, that he gave comes from a place of security. It's not from fear. It's, it's not from anxiety. It's not from guilt or shame. It comes from a place of security. So where does that kind of security come from? Over the past three weeks, pastor has been leading us to consider how God calls people like us to follow him. Follow him in service, follow him in, in making disciples, follow him in serving and loving others. But today I want to address what are some of the reasons why we don't answer that call. Actually, I think we answer it. We just answer it no or maybe later or get the wrong guy. <laughs> Sometimes the call's hard. Sometimes the call seems absolutely impossible or even dangerous. So, so to talk us through that this morning, I'd like to remind us of a story that's going to show up in Daniel chapter 3. Before I can do that I want, effectively, I want to go back and remind you of the events of Daniel chapter 1. And I'd encourage you, any of you, to, to open your Bible this afternoon and read Daniel 1, 2, and 3. Just, just take yourself through that. If you've got the whole afternoon, you're not interested in football, just read all the way through Daniel. It's a great story. Go for it. So in Daniel chapter 1, uh, these 
Young men had been brought from Jerusalem to Babylon. They were held captive, they were, but they were recognized as strong and bright, full of wisdom and, and the best. And so the king wants to treat them well, wants to give them everything they can to, to thrive and serve him better. And part of that was, oh, we're gonna feed them the king's food. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said no thanks to the king's food. They said, you know what? Just feed us vegetables and water and we'll be fine. And the, the guard says, no, you're going to get me in a lot of trouble here. really need you to just step in line and do what everybody else is doing. And they're like, no, we're not, we're not going to. They operated from a secure place, a secure place in their relationship with who God was and what God had asked of them. And so the answer is no. They believed that God would nourish them best with just vegetables and water. So fast forward to chapter three, and there's a, there's a statue that's built, and commands are decreed, and, and, and there's a, an orchestra that's going to play, and I bet it didn't sound anything as good as our worship team does, but you know, they played, and, and every time they played, the people were all supposed to just stop what they're doing and bow to, the, to this big giant statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And there were some people around who, I think they kind of knew watch these guys because they're not going to. They already kind of knew what's going on. So they, they, sure enough, they run and tattletale and tell what's going on. And the boys are given an opportunity to renounce their ways, but they choose to stand firm no matter what. So Nebuchadnezzar gets all angry and, and, and upset and he's in a furious rage and he calls them in and, and he says to them, hey, you know what? Is it true that you didn't, you didn't bow? You didn't do that? Okay, look, here's the thing. I'm going to give you another chance, right? We're going to send you back out. I don't really want to hurt you. I want you to go back out. Next time you hear the music playing, just bow, just do what everybody else is doing and do that. Everything will be okay. And their response uh, was, was this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. Now stop right there. Uh, most of the time, as soon as we're called on the carpet, the first thing we want to do is defend ourselves. And I would say to you that mostly doesn't come from a place of real security. Real security just stands there and says, I don't have to defend myself. I have a defender who is defending me, and I don't have to defend myself. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. So the next section of this scripture, it's, it's straight up funny to me because it says, then Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage that his face became distorted. And I wish I had a good picture of that. And maybe you can imagine somebody that you know that gets real angry and their face gets distorted, but don't stay there too long, Right. He ordered the furnace to be heated up seven times hotter than usual. He ordered the, the strongest men he had to come bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and tie them up and, and take them and throw them into the fiery furnace. He, he, he took them there. And they were still fully clothed. Everything, they didn't take the time to just throw them in there, but bind them up. And, and because, the, because the furnace had gotten so hot, the guys that are throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace, they die before, before they can get out of there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fall in and then stand up. And apparently they just stood around having a conversation. Uh, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, was it not three 
that we threw bound into the fire? They, they answered the king, true, O king, they replied, but I see four men unbound walking in the middle of the fire and they are not hurt. And the fourth has the appearance of a God. Nebuchadnezzar is, uh, he's confused, he's dazed, he's been through this journey through chapters one, two, and three that we can, you can read about later, but, but he's, he's, he's all kind of, of upset in this, and he approached the door of the furnace, and he, and he yells into there, hey, 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 Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, come here, we've obviously got some stuff we got to talk about, come on out here, and so he brings them out, and this is, this is their basic conversation, this is what's going on, Nebuchadnezzar said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Okay, hold on a second. When I say this is the word of God for the people of God, I want you to like part my hair with saying, thanks be to God. Because the word of God's better. It, it's, it's so awesome. We have God's word, all right? Here, let's see. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. This is the word of God for the people of God. I love it. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I love it. I I join with you in saying thanks be to God. Where does that kind of security come from? How does that happen? I'm I'm so glad that you asked. I I can't even, I'm so glad that you asked. And and I've been studying for, for some time about where does that kind of security come from? How do we live from that place? The place where they were in, in chapter one and the place where they were in chapter three, they, they answered with such a secure answer. How do we get there? It's not a, it's, it's not a magic formula. In fact, uh, there's a doctor, Dr. Kurt Thompson, that I love to read his, his books. And a lot of what I'll share with you this morning is ideas that come from reading this book. Dr. Kurt Thompson in The Soul of Desire says that there are four, the most four basic human needs or desires that exist. All of us have them. This is common to all of us. It was common then, it's common now. Everybody has these. The four most basic human needs or desires are this, to be seen, soothed, safe, and then secure. Secure uh, the fourth step, not the first, the fourth. See, say it with me. Seen, soothed, safe, secure. Come on, we'll hear it. Seen, soothed, safe, secure. You got this. You'll be able to preach this message later, I promise you. How many of you have ever been in a room where a baby was born? Some of you? All of you have been in a room where a baby was born because you're all born in a room somewhere. (laughs) You just probably don't remember it. But some of us who have seen it with our own eyes and we are much more awake, we've seen it and it's made an impression on us. Now here's the, here's the impression that it leaves. There's a, there's a, a woman who's pregnant and she's, she's been carrying a baby and it's, it's dark and warm and the child is well fed and cared for, has everything it could possibly need. And then they're born and they're cold and they're wet and it's bright and loud and they start screaming like, ah! they're, they're losing their, like, what in the world is going on? Everything was great. Now everything is not great. And they cry and they cry, but pretty quickly someone sees they're crying. And if they see them and they're not crying, trust me, they start working on them to make them cry. And they cry 
and someone cleans them up a little bit and takes them and puts them on mom's chest and, and, and mom cuddles that baby and loves that baby and cries beautiful tears and nurses that baby and that baby begins to feel safe. And over time, when that pattern is repeated and you think about how many times we've repeated the pattern of, of the baby cries, we pick up the baby, we feed the baby, we change the baby, we do these things. And in, the, that's in that pattern, eventually a child becomes to live in a place of security. It's not just for babies. In fact, Amy and I, uh, about once a month, we work in the nursery here, usually in the second service right now. So uh, usually with the, the little ones who are 12 months to 18 months. Uh, I forget the name they call those little, little folks. but they. And, and I remember the first time that I was in there because I walked in and they're all looking at me like, who's the new big kid? <laughs> and I'm trying to earn my way and my right to have a little conversation, a little influence with these little people. And I love them. They're so cute and they're so fun. And, and after a while, while I'm kind of watching and, and seeing what's going on, eventually one little blonde head boy comes over to me and he, he does this. I'm like, oh, yeah, here's my chance. And I pick that little fella up, and I put him right here, and I give him two taps on the backside, and immediately I thought, wow, (laughs) Um, he needs help. He needs help. And thanks be to God, when I work in the nursery, I'm not allowed to change diapers. So I hand him to someone and say, soothe this child. He needs a new diaper. There you go. And they, they do, they, they did, and so then he's all clean, and then he comes back with a smile on his face. Guy's not using words, but he comes right back to me and does this again. I'm like, yeah, buddy, here we go, all right? And pretty soon, we're on the floor bouncing balls and playing and doing all kinds of things, and I would tell you, I'd do almost anything to earn the right to tell people of every generation in this church about Jesus. It's not just about babies. This little guy looks at me and says, do you see me? Because I got a problem. You can't see it yet, but I got a problem. And then we discover the problem and we soothe the problem and then he feels safe and then he, he feels secure. And I love going in there and revisiting with these little guys and, and, and gals and, and just loving on them. It's so fun to, to be able to help make that system happen for our little people in the nursery and at every age in this church. So it's not just about babies. It's a continuing cycle throughout life and, and it's it's just all over the place in biblical evidence. I would say to you in Genesis chapter 16, there's a story of a young lady named Hagar. She was the handmaiden of Sarah and she'd had a baby with Sarah's husband. And then, you know, the way that could happen, there came trouble in the camp. And, and so she was ran away out into the wilderness with her little boy and, and she'd set him aside some, some space away because she couldn't bear, bear to be with him to watch what was gonna happen next. And she's struggling so terribly with it. And, and in that instance, God sees her and hears her, and met her need, gave her the water she needs, sent her back into the camp, safe and secure. I think of the story of the Exodus that begins with God talking to Moses and saying, hey, I have seen my people, I've heard their cries, and I've seen their distress, I've seen what kind of mess they're in, and I'm here to fix it, right? And so over and over and over again, we see these stories. You remember, remember the woman at the well that Jesus met in Samaria? It's in John chapter four. She was avoiding everyone else by drawing water in the heat of the day. Within minutes, Jesus had seen this lady in all of her brokenness and he had soothed her and made her feel safer than ever. How safe? Safe enough that she ran back into the town full of people that she was avoiding to go tell them who she'd met and how wonderful it was. That's what happens 
when Jesus is in our midst. She's saying, everybody needs to meet this guy. Do we believe that? She did. There's so many more instances of Jesus seeing people and comforting them and not chastising, but not reminding them of their guilt or dragging up the past, but seeing them right where they are and, and soothing their immediate needs and making that space safe. And if they would continue in what it means to follow him, finding real security. This is absolutely a part of how God made us. And so it becomes a part of the stories of, of God's interaction with humankind. Let's jump back to Daniel chapter 3. They acted from a secure place. They did that in chapter 1. They did it again in chapter 3. And what happened? What happened is this. They got thrown into a fire. They got thrown into a really bad situation. And God saw them. God went and hung out in the fire with them and soothed them, consoled them, comforted them. They came out safe. They didn't even smell like smoke. The only thing that burnt was the, was the, the ropes that bound, their, that bound them. Everything else was, was just fine. They didn't even smell like smoke. Eyebrows weren't singed. None of that's going on. And their security in God was deepened yet again. An upward spiral of continued growth. Is that where we're living? We picked up in this story at the point these young men living in security, but this is always begins with God seeing us, God meeting our needs, God creating the safety and the security. It happens both in the, in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm. We have an incredible power available to see and hear people, to meet their physical needs and begin to create safe spaces for them to grow and live securely. We also have the dangerous power to ignore people and leave them inconsolable and desperate. Our world is filled with desperate people doing desperate things. And what they, where that comes from is a deep desire for someone to see them, to love them, to meet them right where they are, to soothe them, console them, and create a safe space for them to grow and to everybody that God has created them to be. It's real messy. But I'd ask you, what spiral are you living in? Increased security or decreased security? You live in, is God's provision abundant or is it scarce? Why does that matter? Well, again, if you read uh, Daniel chapter 1, 2, and 3, you're going to see Nebuchadnezzar on a roller coaster. You're going to see that he's, he's all about himself. He's surrounded with his guys, and they tell him how great he is. You're the king. You're this. You're that. And, he's, he's, and then he hangs out with guys like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and he sees a God, and he says, oh, that's the great God. And then he leaves those guys, and he goes back into his office, and he's surrounded again by his people, and they're talking to him, and he's right back down here. Well, let's build a golden statue to me. You're going to get in trouble if you don't bow to the golden statue of me. Those guys said so. And he's back with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And because he's with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the very God of God shows up with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they get to see God because of their interact, his interaction with, with those guys. So let me ask you, are we constantly witnessing to God's faithful provision and deep security? Or are we constantly witnessing witnessing to a scarcity and a fear and an insecurity. Before the story concluded, Nebuchadnezzar was praising the God of Israel again. 
I can tell you it seemed pretty unlikely. It seemed pretty unlikely. But who do you know that might be put into a category of pretty unlikely that they'll be praising God anytime soon? What do they see from you? Anxiety, fear, or secure living, knowing that God will always provide a way and do what's right. There are a few things that couple, a few things that that have complicated God's original plan for us in this cycle of being seen and soothed and safe and secure. Uh, I just want to talk about one today. It's shame. It's a tough one. It affects us all. Every one of us has lived with what it means to be seen, soothed, safe, and secure, or not. And one of the reasons, perhaps sometimes, where we're not seen is this issue called shame. In Genesis chapter 3, everything that had been made had been declared good by God. It would have been declared good, 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 and very good, right? Look at your neighbor and say, you were declared very good. But here comes trouble. As Adam and Eve partake of the forbidden fruit, all they had ever known was good. In fact, if you read it, what's, what's, what the serpent tempted Eve with was, uh, when you taste it, God knows that you will know good and evil. All they knew was good. You know what they got out of the deal? Evil. And as soon as they became aware of evil, as soon as they became aware of evil because they had sinned against God because they had not trusted God and they became aware of evil and the very first thing they did was cover up they sewed fig leaves together and they covered up and and then God who would come to the garden in the evening to walk with them in the cool of the day had come to the garden to walk with them in the cool of the day and when he said hey where are you and he didn't ask because he needed to know Where are you, Adam and Eve? We were afraid and ashamed, so we hid. We have been covering and hiding ever since. And and when we cover and hide uh, from our sin, from our shame, from all those things, when we cover and hide, it prevents us from, from being seen. And if we can't be seen, we can't be soothed. If we can't be soothed, we'll never live safe and secure. But we cover and hide, not by God, but by other people. God sees everything. This shame that we're talking about, it can come from one of three sources. And so let me go through these pretty quickly. Shame can come from one of three sources. It starts with this, something that someone did to you. And if, you're, if that's you, you know, right? You've been uh, misrepresented or someone did something to you and you live with a, a shame that, that just goes with that. It seems to never go away. Number two is something that you've done to to another. You didn't have to intend it. You didn't have to mean to do something to me. It just came out that way, and and now you feel bad about what you've done to another. And the third is this, the sense that you are not enough. What not enough? Just not enough. Not enough, not pretty enough, not strong enough, not smart enough, not good enough, not enough, not successful enough, just not enough in all the ways. God says, hey, I want you to, I'm not, I'm not enough. You should know that. Here's the thing. I, I don't know if, if 
like when you're here in this room, this is pretty amazing because when I look up at that screen, I, I'm a, I am taller and leaner than I have ever been in my life. It's amazing. I like that shot, by the way. Whatever that shot is, that's the shot right there. And, and if I keep my, this chrome dome from shining off of that, um, but I'm taller and leaner than I've ever been in my life. But tomorrow morning, I'm going to walk in here and I'm going to be feeling pretty tired and I'm going to go get on the elevators to go up to the third floor. Have you ever been on those elevators to go up the third floor? Some of you have. Those, those mirrors in that elevator, they lie. Because when I look in that mirror, I'm like, wow, look at that tired old dude. And then the first thing I notice is something about those, it's like when you walk in a crazy house with all the mirrors, like that thing makes my middle section look bigger than it is. And one day I was looking at that and thinking, you know, I wonder if they have cameras on this. I'm looking at that, I'm going, well, if it makes my middle section look bigger, maybe it'll do the same thing to my biceps. You know what, it doesn't. And sometimes, sometimes when you're, Living maybe a little bigger than you want to live, you make some jokes about how that feels and we hide behind it. And I'm okay with it. Not sure my wife's okay with it yet, but I'm okay with it. Shame keeps us from being seen. It it usually grows with layer after layer after layer of isolating us from people who love us but can't see us because we don't feel safe enough to let them see the real us. I can't think of a, of, of a way that that's more profound today than it is in social media. Filters and stories, they're not terrible. But we gotta be real. We've gotta be real. This, this business of being seen so that we can be soothed and safe and secure, and, and, and if we can't be seen, we'll never live safe and secure. So here's the good news. I'm going to tell you this is great news. Everything, everything about, about Adam and Eve and what they did in the fall, covering and hiding in shame, was uncovered and laid bare when our Savior hung naked on a cross, bearing the full weight of all our sin and all the shame that goes with it. Thanks be to God. Keep that there for just a second. Everything. Everything that Adam and Eve, and insert our own name there, everything we've ever done in in our falling, in our covering, in our hiding, in our shame, in our sin, in our lost and brokenness, everything was uncovered and laid bare when our Savior hung naked on a cross, bearing the full weight of all our sin and all the shame that ever went with it. Hallelujah. So here's... Here's what I want for you today. I want you to press in to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. I want you to live all the way in. I, I, I want where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And anyone who is hiding and covering and projecting anything but God's very good creation isn't living in real freedom and security. But there's freedom and it's offered here today. Freedom from the shame, freedom from masking and hiding, freedom from pretending to be something else, freedom from all those things and, and freedom from the guilt of the past and freedom to truly follow Christ and take hold of that. I want you to experience the beautiful goodness of truly being seen and soothed and experience true safety and live securely with Jesus and the whole body of Christ. Here's the thing. 
No one can bring you out from behind that mask until you're brave enough to do it. But when you take that step, you'll find a savior who says, I love you. I made you. I didn't make any mistakes. And I got good plans for us. You ready to go? I believe you'll hear Jesus whisper, I love you. Let's go. I got good plans. Let's get on this journey together. Here we go. By the summer that I was 16 years old, I, uh, I had discovered that, uh, well, I'd, I'd gotten saved when I was 12 years old. I'd accepted Jesus as my Savior. I'd, I'd done my best to, to walk with him. I grew up in a really good home with parents that are very encouraging. Uh, I, I was just some of, the, some of the finest people on the face of the earth. And, and, uh, but this summer, I'd turned 16. I, I had discovered that I could use certain words at certain times and get people to laugh. They weren't good words. I enjoyed the laughter. But I worked pretty hard at keeping that confined to only certain parts of my life, hiding, projecting one image in one place and living another. I knew that, I was, that, that what I was doing was completely unacceptable at home and I didn't want to disappoint mom and dad, but I loved the attention and the laughter. So July of that summer, I found myself at a, at a camp meeting and I, I felt a nudge that I should come forward and go to an altar. I'd, I'd been to an altar lots of times. I'd, I'd prayed so many times and asked for, for forgiveness and, and some guidance and some help with different things and it had always been good. So, so this evening when I felt the nudge to go forward, I was like, yeah, I'll go, I'll go. And I went forward when the, when the invitation was given. But that night was different. That night as I knelt, I clearly heard God called me to serve him in ministry. <clears throat> All I could think was, seriously? Seriously, God? Have you heard my mouth? That night, I declined the call. And before I got up from the altar, I made up a lie to tell the good men that had gathered around me that I'd have something to say when I stood up from the altar. Another story, another layer of shame, another cover another place to hide. Let me clear with you. Almighty God, the voice that called Moses and Abraham and all kinds of other heroes that we know had called out to Brent Hardesty and said, I want to bless you on this path. Will you serve me? And I said, no. In an environment like this, I made up a lie to tell the people so I could walk away without accountability. The next eight years were the worst years of my life. If I could have one night back in my life, it'd be that night. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what kind of nudge or tap on the shoulder you might have been sensing in the last few weeks or months or years. Maybe you're, maybe you're on one of those eight-year journeys like I was. But I want to tell you there's real freedom right here in this room. There's a spirit of God that already sees exactly who you are. And, and somewhere near you, there's somebody that loves you enough to see you, to see through whatever you're putting on, and for you to get real with them. I want to invite you this morning. I want to invite you when we begin to sing, to, to come, to pray, to, to say, you know, I'm done running. I'm done. I'm done putting on the shame thing. I'm done projecting everything else. I just want to be whatever you made me to be.
I can tell you this. God has, in the last 30 years, used all kinds of ways that to even use the elements of my life that I built while I was running from him, he's redeemed them and used them for his glory because that's, that's who God is. Stop running. Stop hiding. Stop covering. Come out in the open. It's safe here. And you can live secure and live into everything that Jesus has for you. Can I pray for you? Lord, I pray this morning uh, that these good people would would hear from you and respond. Lord, they'd have the courage to believe that uh, the same God that was in the fire with those three guys so long ago has been in a lot of other fires since then. And the life that you're calling to them too is a life, uh, whether it's a step across the street to talk to a neighbor or a, or a trip around the world. But the life that you're calling to them is one of a journey where they get to walk with you day after day after day. And the hiding and the projecting and the covering is never gonna satisfy. So Lord, help us in these moments to be real, real with you and real with each other. In Jesus' name, amen.
before us and stands behind us, stands beside us. You are with us. You see us, you hear us. today receive this blessing it says may the God who shows up in the fire with you who knows your name and hears your cry for help be ever near to you as you follow his call God bless you all you are dismissed today You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.